You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, it's definitely good to be here this morning. Super excited. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. Uh, hello to the family and our guests. do want to uh, just mention one thing here before we totally get going, and I uh, just thought it'd be kind of encouraging for Dessa if you were to wish her a happy birthday in the chat stream or drop her a text, whatever, but it was Dessa's birthday yesterday. Yes, and you know, if you were watching our Kids Kingdom earlier, Pat Toomey's birthday as well. So, Pat, happy birthday, my brother. Uh, I'm not going to sing to you. We'll spare you that. But my name is Steve Marici, and again, welcome to the South Bay Church. Welcome to our family. Uh, super excited about another day with this group. Our amazing worship team, our tech team, Casey, Ben, you guys did a phenomenal job this morning. Marlena, all of you guys. It was just great to be able to participate. And uh, for those of you that maybe didn't watch last week, I really want to encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and uh, pull up the message that Dr. Ben Barnett did for us, which was entitled Beloved Community. Um, Dr. Barnett and uh, myself started a... uh, Really great friendship going back about three or four years ago, and it's just been great to be able to work with him when it comes to these areas of social justice, racism, uh, courageous conversations, all of those things. And really feel God has really blessed us here in the South Bay and Coastal region when it comes to that relationship. Today, as we saw with the song, I'm going to be moving on and taking a look at the book of Joshua. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of background as to what has transpired up to this point in time. We're going to dive right in here this morning. So, if we remember the uh, going back to the account of God's people from the book of Genesis and Exodus, we know that God chose Abraham uh, specifically for this incredible nation to come forward, and that Abraham would be the father of all nations, and then his family became the people of Israel, who we know during this period of time were enslaved in Egypt. So through Moses... God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Uh, We're familiar with the Exodus, Exodus, the plagues, how Moses led his people out of Egypt. And God rescued them, and he made this covenant with them on Mount Sinai. With that, they brought through the the, uh, wilderness, and then Israel ended up camping outside the Promised Land, at which point Moses had been calling them to obey God's command so they could show all the neighboring nations What an amazing God they had a relationship with. So the book of Joshua picks up right after Moses has died, and Israel is now ready to enter into the promised land. Joshua first leads Israel into the promised land, and once they're there, they're met with the hostility of the Canaanites, and they engage in battle. Now, the first section begins with Moses' death, and Joshua, who is appointed to be Israel's new leader, now, it's guesstimated that at that point in time, now this is after the Israelites had been marching around in the desert for 40 years. They had had the opportunity to actually go into the promised land, but they sent in spies, spies came back, and even though God told them, this land is yours, I'm going to deliver it, 10 out of the 12 spies had issues, created all kinds of, uh, basically, stirred up this amazing degree of fear amongst the people about the giants that they were going to go into and all the opposition and these warring tribes. But there were two men out of the 12 that stood firm and were ready to go. One of those was Joshua, the other was Caleb, which my grandson's named after. Just had to get that in there. 
And, you know, I like the fact that both these guys were older guys, too. At the point in time that uh, Joshua took over from, from Moses, it's guesstimated that he was somewhere around 30 to 40 years. Actually, I take that back. He had been out there in the desert uh, by the time he was appointed in uh, the position he was in, probably somewhere around 70 to 80 years old when he took on this responsibility of the Israelites going into Canaan. Now, again, there's this constant theme of calling people back to obeying God and realizing who they serve. Now, in, at this point in time, Joshua had sent spies back into the land just as Moses did. We can see that. We know that took place in Numbers 13 and 14. But this time it went way better. Joshua leads all Israel across the Jordan River. And just like God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea, God parted the floodwaters of the Jordan River and the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, were led through. God delivered them at that point in time. So now in chapter 5, the story transitions. We see that the people look back to the roots as God's covenant people. And this new generation's got a few things that had not taken place into the desert that they needed to go after. One of those was that all the men needed to be circumcised to enter back into that covenant with God. And the other thing that had not taken place during that 40-year period of time is this new generation celebrates their first Passover. And that must have been such an incredible victory for them. But then they turn, prepared to go forward, and Joshua has this really crazy encounter, which, uh, let's see here. Basically, the, the uh, title of the message again this morning is, Whose Side Are You Fighting On? And there's a, uh, a hymn that goes back to the 1800s by Francis Ridley Habergal. I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, but I don't think he's around to take issue with it. So it says, Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Others' lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? And this is really a hymn, as we think through these words, it applies to us today. Yeah. And ultimately, whose side are we on? Well, with that, let's go ahead and pick up in Joshua 5, verse 13. Joshua 5, verse 13. It says, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Obviously, that sword's drawn. That seems to me that would be a little bit threatening. So it says Joshua went up to him and he asked him, it's probably good to kind of clarify this at this point, I probably would have been yelling across, we got the Craig's Alley out here, I don't know that I would have gotten any closer than yelling across the alley at him. But he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the response is in verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. What follows here is probably the same response that I would have had. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Yeah. And this is where humility can be a good thing. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua responded accordingly. He did so. And this is kind of interesting. There's a lot going on in these few verses. One of the things we see here is the promised land. This area was established as holy for God's people. Now, we're in service together this morning. I'd love to see a show of hands as to how many of you have ever heard of Joshua's encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. Um, you know, most of us, when it comes to our kids, 
they're familiar with the walls of Jericho coming down. We all know that pretty well, and I'm not going to spend any time with that today, other than it was amazing as to how God facilitated that with his people. But the commander of the Lord's army is a detail that's often left out of our children's Bible stories in our kids' kingdom, right? I mean, ultimately, the account tells us here, though, a lot about God's heart and how God works, especially in a time as this. This is, as they were heading into the promised land, with all the issues they had, pretty divisive situation there. It cost the Israelites an entire generation of people. The entire Israelite population, that generation that came out of Egypt, died in the desert because they were unwilling to listen to God. And when we think through this, what if God's ways were entirely different from ours? What if God's thoughts were so much greater and higher than ours? What if God's not on our side? I want that to settle in for a minute. What if God was not on our side? Let's continue. So Joshua has this crazy encounter with this mysterious warrior who it turns out is the angelic commander of God's army. Some people think it was a, a physical appearance of Jesus. But with this, Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And again, we see that the response was neither. Not for him, not for the enemies. Now, the real question is, whose side is Joshua on? Is Joshua on God's side? And this makes it very clear that this whole account is not about Israel versus the Canaanites. This issue here, this account, is God's battle. Now, Israel can do one of two things here. They can, you know, we're always faced with choices. We're always faced with decisions to make. Israel can sit on the bench in the role of spectators, or they can come over to God's side and be facilitators of God's plan. So where are we this morning? Whose side are we fighting on? See, so we need to really adopt Joshua's perspective here in what we see in verse 14, his humility. After hearing the response, neither, Joshua adopts the right posture. He drops to his face before this messenger from God. And he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And we've got to ask ourselves, is this my approach? Is this our approach? Or we allow ourselves to be spectators, couch quarterbacks, when it comes to God's great plan, God's great commission to build his church strong? Or are we his disciples, his facilitators of the great commission, his mission? And here's the thing this morning. If we need more than a yes or no response for this, if there's a yes but or a no but, you've already missed the point today. We need to understand wherever there's an angel of the Lord. Whenever they sh there's this appearance like this, as if God were here himself. So at first we see this man describing himself as the commander of the Lord's army, but we later see him speaking as if he were God himself. You know, to me it seemed a little strange that the commander of the Lord's army didn't take sides of either the Israelites or the Canaanites. God told Joshua to take over Jericho, and the Israelites were God's people, so... To me, it would seem logical that the commander of the Lord's army would be on Joshua's side, right? But he wasn't. He was on God's side, fighting for God's agenda, fighting the battle God's way and in God's time. And God wasn't there to do Joshua's bidding. 
And Joshua understood this point. He was there to do God's bidding. And the commander of the Lord's army reminded him of just that. It wasn't up to Joshua. So, you know, at times, isn't this how we can approach God? Isn't this how we can approach God in prayer? We approach God in our daily walk. Or when it comes to our faith, you know, we praise as, as if it's up to us. We plan and we ask God to bless our work, to do our bidding. Our will be done. My will be done. My kingdom versus God's kingdom. You know, I know that this may come as a little bit of a disappointment, but me, mine, yours, ours isn't God's. And this is why so many Christians can't even agree on things today. Not, not just the world, but within our own Christian culture, within our own church, yeah. we can't even agree on things today. We're more concerned with our side, our opinion, our music, our style, our culture, our party, our gender, our age, our agenda, our perspective, all which leads to nothing but division and chaos all of which are so incredibly far removed from what God wants for us and what God wants for this country and what God wants for his world and his kingdom. Right. We get caught up in what's going on around us and we lose sight of the fact the only side we should be on is God's side. Amen. We spend more time posturing on social media about our position and opinions more so than we do God's. And again, I wish you were here in person today to ask people so I could ask them to raise their hands as to whether or not they spend more time defending the gospel than they do their political party or their generation or their race. Again, I wish you were here in person because I think we need this kind of interaction. Yeah. There's nothing new. This is nothing new. The Israelites wanted the same darn thing. They wanted to be just like all the neighboring tribes. God wasn't enough for them. So they asked for kings, and this was about 200 years after Joshua, and most of us, if we've been around a while, we've gone through First and Second Kings, we know what that looked like. We know about Saul, we know about his issues, we know about David, good and bad, we know about his issues. Out of 20, about 20 kings, only about five of them actually had things on straight. You know, when it comes to king, what do kings want? Do they not want worship? Isn't it all about power, wealth, stuff, women, whatever they can get their hands on, right? And for the Israelites, God wasn't enough. And for me, in my opinion, kings, in my opinion, became a form of idolatry, an actual violation of the first commandment, which says, you will have no other gods before me. Well, when they wanted kings and they were worshiping kings, isn't that what that was? What if you become more reliant on the king than God? That's idolatry. If you become more passionate about and dependent on, you name it, a cause, a point of view, a candidate, a country, a way of life. Although these things in and of themselves may have some good things about them, but when you're more passionate about these things above what God is passionate about, then haven't we elevated these things above God and above Jesus? Isn't that a form of idolatry? You know, we live in America, and there's so many amazing things that we have. There's so many benefits that we have. There's so many things to be grateful about. And I pray about the things that I'm grateful for at least once a week. So I, I need a reset. I need to remember what God has done for me. But our culture screams individuality. Individuality, which creates division, 
We have a two-party system that breeds separation and division. We have a global economy that creates separation and division with the wealthy and the poor. We live in a world that tries to divide. We are called to choose sides and cancel anything we don't agree with. Political, ideological, cultural, generational, whatever it may be. Yet God calls us to follow him. And this is what the message is about. We see God's people. We're God's people. We need to go back and learn from the mistakes that we see made in the scriptures when people drifted away from God. We see it very early on in the church. Brian will probably help me out with this, but I believe it's somewhere around 60, 70 A.D. in 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. Well, let's see here. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. Paul says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paul's. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I don't know if you're going to be able to, you should be able to see this okay on your slide or on your TVs or whatever you're watching. It might be a little bit more challenging if you're on your phone this morning. But when it comes to what God has laid out and the fact that it's about God, God's our creator. And when we get into the situation where we're focused on ourselves, it starts to generate a little bit of a problem. See, we're called to respond to God in this world when it comes to the gospel. We're called to respond to God's love. Ben Barnett did an amazing job on that last week. This is God's church. It's God's family. It's God's community of people called to be centered around Jesus Christ. Jesus and the good news made up of men and women that are servants called to serve one another and the lost within our communities. Amen. We get back to those basics. You hear us talk about Matthew 22 all the time. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. All the laws of the prophets are summarized within those few verses. You know, if we had that really demonstrated that kind of love, there wouldn't be this individuality. There wouldn't be this divisiveness. There wouldn't be Christians going after Christians thinking that their opinion is the right opinion and it's the only opinion that matters. The only opinion that matters is our creators. Galatians 5, verse 13. It reads, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, what do we see here? Serve one another in love. I love this. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbors as yourself. Does it get any easier than that? I'm a simple guy. That keeps it real simple. It doesn't really cloud the waters. You don't have to have a, a doctorate, a PhD in Bible to understand what that says there. That's awesome. Yeah, you don't have to be Marshall Craig. You don't have to be Brian Craig. You can be Steve Marici and read that and understand what the heck it says. Love your neighbors yourself, non-Christian, Christian, this party, that party, poor, rich, black, white, old, young, you love them. Verse 15, it says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Do we really want to be that generation that God passes over? Like that first generation that came out of the desert and marched around for 40 darn years because they had no desire 
to love their creator. They had no desire to even love the leader that God had given them. They took issue with Moses. And they paid the price. I don't want to pay that price. And 1 John 2 verse 15 says, Don't love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, guys, it's real clear here. If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. No ands, ifs, and buts. And we've got to ask ourselves this morning, where's our focus today? Where's our treasure today? You know, how many words, tens, hundreds, thousands, how many seconds, minutes, hours have been wasted on our own opinions? The things that we love more than God. How many words and how much time has been spent wasted on worldly things rather than being utilized and spent on the good news? To love your neighbor as yourself. Are you a spectator this morning? Couch critic or a facilitator? You know, we have men and women in our church that lead tens, fifties, hundreds in the workplace, but can't find the time to disciple or mentor a new Christian that's been brought into the fold, who won't lead or assist a Bible talk in our cities, won't mentor our youth or our teens. You give the best of yourselves to the world for worldly gain, yet can't be bothered for the kingdom. And here's the thing. Because we've all been blessed with amazing talents. If it's taking place in the workplace and it's not taking place in the kingdom, there is a problem. You can call me, 805-612-2840, and we can talk about it. Yeah, Jack, go ahead and put it in the chat, babe. 805-612-2840. But we're all called to do our share. We're all called to use the talents God has blessed us with. And Jesus spoke about you when he said... The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. You know, some of you may be a little offended this morning by what I've said, but consider what, the, what Jesus' brother James said when in addressing these issues himself in James 4, verse 7. This is out of the New Living Translation. James 4, verse 7. It says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You know, in the NIV, it says double-minded. I like the explanation of double-minded with your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's what's going on here. And I think we've got to understand something here. Many of us claim to be great multitaskers, but I'm telling you right here, when it comes to God and the world, if you're trying to multitask them both, you've lost. You have totally lost. There's only one task for any of us as Christians, and that's God and God's kingdom. So it goes on to say, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. And I know that this may not come off as one of these really fuzzy, warm type sermons, but I don't, I'm not meaning for it to be. We should have more than enough encouragement just for the incredible family we have in this church. But we all need to love that family. We need to love our communities. We need to love our neighbors. And, you know, and there's a time, obviously, this is scripture. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's here for a reason because sometimes we just need to hear it. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, just like Joshua did, and he will lift you up in honor. That's the position I want. I don't want to lift myself up because I know where that will ultimately lead. I'd much rather be lifted up by God. 
So don't speak evil against others, each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. I don't know about you. I don't want to be sitting in calling down judgment on what God says. Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether or not it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save and destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. You know, there are a lot of people that have that mindset going into the pandemic. How many of them don't have anything today? And I, it, I, it saddens me, but that's what we have outside of a relationship with God. Only what we can acquire and build. And then something like 2020 comes along and destroys everything. He says, so look here, you say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? You know, many of us have suffered losses this past year. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, we're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. You know, and I think about verse 16. There's been a lot that's gone on over the last year and a half that's caused me to pause. And I have to admit, there's been some pretentious plans I've run through my head. You know, uh, 2020 was the most challenging year I've ever experienced as a minister, and I've been in the ministry for almost 30 years. Some of it self-supported, some of it paid by the church. When Jackie and I went into the ministry, we sold our home at a, at a loss of tens of thousands of dollars because we wanted to go into the ministry. The pay that we got paid at that point in time was a third of what we were making. But we weren't about building our kingdom anymore. That's what we had been about. We were building ourselves right into a divorce. Yeah, Jackie wanted me to remind you she gave up her car too. That was probably the biggest challenge we had as a married couple is only having one car. I, she, I can't hear her. She's saying something. Other. Probably wanted me to let you know it was a Mustang convertible. And Keith Rose, who was in our church, ended up buying it from us. And she got to see it every Sunday until it got totaled. They weren't in the car. It just magically somehow ended up in reverse, drifted into the traffic, and got totaled. No one was in it. I think God wanted to put Jackie out of her misery. But, you know, I, I have to admit, there have been things that have me start thinking about whether or not this is something I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, Hummer just came out with a new Hummer EV, which many of you have seen. I used to be a Hummer manager, and I started thinking. You know, there were over 5,000 Chevy dealerships globally. At the time I was working for Hummer, there were 380 dealerships globally. So I could probably find a niche to slip back into that market because I've got the experience that virtually no one has. I, I led one of the fastest-growing Hummer dealerships in Southern California, actually in the United States. And, you know, there were all kinds of awards that came with that. There was all kinds of money that came with that. And I was doing that as a, as a minister as well. It's when I went self-supporting after 2003. But, you know, that really started having an appeal to me. And then, you know, lo and behold, the 2021 vet comes out. I'm thinking, you know, I could go back and manage a Chevy dealership, and guess what I'd be driving? And nobody could take issue because I'm managing a Chevy dealer. 
You know, needless to say, if I rolled on into the church service with our new 2021 vets, some of you would be shaking your heads, scratching your heads, wondering what the heck's going on with Steve Marici. But I have to let you know, that was a reality for me because it's been so challenging navigating COVID. You know, the, the polarity we have there, you know, people that want to wait until there's vaccines, and I get it. Others that are, you know, you know, man, this is a conspiracy, and, you know, you're causing us to sin, and this, that, and the other. You know, the racism thing, social justice, all these different things have been so emotionally and spiritually draining. Right. And then have people being critical of what we do. Right. You know, I really started thinking, you know, who the heck needs this? I could go make a heck of a lot more money. You know, my salespeople still reach out to me today and tell me how awesome it was for all of us to be working together and what a fun time that was. And I'm just saying all I have to say, I'm just like the rest of you. Right. There are things in life that cause me to struggle. Yeah. But the thing that bothers me the most is when Christians are devouring Christians. Yeah. There is absolutely no place in God's kingdom for that kind of disrespect to him and to one another. That pains God. I know how I feel about it. I can't even get to imagine what's going through his head knowing that I sent my son to die for you. Jesus and James came forward to both encourage and to warn us about the things that can drain our faith or jeopardize our faith and cause us to drift. And that's exactly what I'm doing today. Jesus wants us to be able to cut through the noise and make a lasting impact rather than getting caught up in all the divisive rhetoric that's so prevalent today. Jesus came to serve God and others, and there was never any question as to, in his mind as to whose side he was on. We know the night before he went to the cross, he prayed for unity because he knew how divisive humans can be. But he also knew how unified they could be and what they would accomplish if they were to walk with their God. Amen. For those serving our youth, the Thomases, the Lees, Gina Stickley, the Dickens who oversee our singles, the Paines and Hernandez, our Bible talk leaders, our shepherds, our deacons, our elder and elder's wife, our tech team, our worship team, those serving the poor, serving your communities, studying the Bible with those who are seeking God, those of you helping others with their marriages or their parenting, for those of you helping, discipling others, serving, helping God advance his kingdom on earth, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, I commend and I encourage you. Amen. But there is a but here. But please be careful. Because even within our ranks, some have been caught up in the world's affairs, conspiracy theories, end-time theories, things that don't edify God or others. And those are the things that, you know, when we look at this, these are th there are those that use their talents in the world building their own walls, building their own kingdoms with little or no concern for God's kingdom. Be careful because the world is enticing you. It's time to call for corporate repentance in the South Bay Church. And we have to choose a side. Whose side are you fighting on? South Bay Church, let's make today the day that we choose the Lord's side. Let's choose to stand side by side with God and build his kingdom strong. Let's choose to love God and love our neighbors. And let's choose to lean into what God wants for his world, for his cities, for our communities, for his people. 
to teach others what it really means to be on the Lord's side. And that is what the book of Joshua is all about. Amen. I'd like to close with Philippians 1, verse 9, and then pray for the communion. This is Paul to the church in Philippi. He says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can determine what really matters and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Father, we come before you right now. I know personally, even some of the thoughts that I've had have uh, not been the kind of thoughts that I should. Uh, definitely feeling enticed by the Lord. Father, I, I repent before you this morning. I pray for our church as a whole that rather than looking at our opinions as being more significant, more important than others, that we'll realize that all of that doesn't matter. It's all going to burn. Jesus came and died for us. And because of that blood that was shed on that cross, we have a heritage with you here as disciples in your kingdom now and forever in your kingdom in heaven. Father, help us to, to continue to grow in our love for you and our understanding for you. And as Joshua, having an understanding as to who he came face to face with, let us fall on our knees in prayer and be grateful that we can be on your side. It's in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.